um, within two years, my entire family, my mom, my dad, my younger sister Margaret, my older um, brother David, and my brother-in-law David, they all became members of the Dominican laity. And so, yeah, so they're part of the chapter in Cincinnati. They will actually be down at Bethany Retreat House next weekend with some of the members from the chapter from Louisville for a retreat. So um, it's wonderful to, to spend a little time with you all. Uh, my caveat ahead of time, first of all, I, I do have some handouts back there that maybe the sisters can hand out in case you didn't get them. Just some um, thoughts on the Mass. So I figured this is a pretty well-formed crowd. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know today. But what I do hope is that uh, as we reconsider, as we always need to reconsider, um, the great reality that goes on at Mass as heaven unites with earth, um, in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, that we can bring our minds and hearts every time we go to Mass, um, I think with just a little bit more intentionality and a little bit more devotion, especially as we near um, the Easter Triduum and the end of Lent. So let's go ahead and begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lenten season and all the many graces that you have extended to us. Most especially, Lord, through the gift of the holy sacrifice of the Mass. As we come to the Mass on Sundays, on weekdays, may you soften our hardened hearts. May you open our ears to hear your word. May we receive more worthily your holy body and blood so that we may be conformed more fully in the image of your Son. And we pray the collect from Mass today. O oh God, who through your word reconcile the human race to yourself in a wonderful way, grant, we pray, that with prompt devotion and eager faith, the Christian people may hasten toward the solemn celebrations to come. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. St. Dominic. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we want to invoke St. Dominic, first of all, I think, because uh, Dominican spirituality is at the heart uh, absolutely liturgical. You know, I think it's no accident that St. Dominic was a priest, and so everything about him, you know, was really at the heart of the church, and um, always, you know, I think all of Dominican spirituality is pointed toward and, and you know, finds its source and meaning um, in the life of the liturgy. So, you know, when you're praying the divine office, you are preparing or reflecting on all of those graces that come from Mass. And, uh, you know, we know that the liturgy acts as a, as a whole. So what I want to do today, just I know we really don't have much time. So I thought we could just kind of remind ourselves again, like, what is the heart of what's going on at Mass? And um, just go back to that a little bit. I'm going to leave you with some quotes. Some of you have already read these from Justin Martyr and just some quotes from the book of Revelation reminding us about the heavenly liturgy. And then I wanted to spend a little bit of time. We're not going to be able to get to all of it, but I did go ahead and print out a, a pretty substantial packet of quotes for you. You know, Pope Francis has been offering his Wednesday catechesis 
on the mass. And there is really some great stuff in there. So I pulled, uh, we're going to go through the order of Mass a little bit, and I pulled some of his quotes um, that can be our guide. And even if we don't get to all of them today, hopefully it can be a, a little bit of spiritual reading for you when you leave after this afternoon. So let's uh, go and start at the beginning. Um, you know, I think we've all gone to Mass where we just have been totally present to what the Lord wants to do there. And we've also been when we've been absolutely distracted either by um, ourselves, our children, the people around us. And I think there is certainly something for all of us. We, we get out of Mass what we put into it. Um, and I think, you know, so many people, I work with teenage girls, and, you know, so this is Miriam back there. So we, you know, we hear this thing often. Well, it's boring. I don't get anything out of it. You know, it's just the same old, same old. It feels rote. Um, and, you know, I think, again, just to be, the more we can learn what is going on and be present to that reality, we realize there is something a lot bigger than ourselves happening there. And so, in fact, I always think of that image as it's kind of like we're plugging into this bigger reality. And um, so if we feel a little cold or stale or tired or whatever, um, in a way it doesn't so much matter. Because if we can plug into what God is doing, it's not about being entertained. It's not about, um, you know, what is the priest saying in the homily. Although, as we know, the order of preachers, a great homily makes a huge difference. Um, it's not all about the choir, although, as we know, you know, music that inspires devotion can be very helpful. Uh, and I think certainly we have to remind ourselves about that, especially when we have a lot of experiences of liturgy. We can get a little cranky about, you know, what we like and don't like. But what's really happening in the Mass? Let's just return to that bottom line there of Earth is really meeting Heaven, um, in Mass, we join in the heavenly liturgy. And of course, you know that word liturgy means work. It means work. And originally, it comes from the, you know, the idea of public work or service on behalf of the people. Well, whose work is it? Is it our work? I mean, yes, in a way. But more importantly, it's God's work. It's the work of Christ, the work of our redemption, Christ's paschal mystery, his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension, that is made present, that is accomplished in and through his church. So, um, as we know, and as the, um, especially after the Second Vatican Council, the idea of the liturgy as the source and summit of the Christian life, it fits very well with the idea that St. Thomas gives us of, you know, the exitus reditus, that, that the grace is coming from heaven, you know, and then we're drawn up into that divine life in Christ, in his Paschal mystery, and brought back into heaven through our celebration of the Holy Mass. You know, we always remember, what is the singular thing about the Paschal mystery? It's not just like for us, you know, as human people living in time. We can, we experience an event that then passes away into our memory, into the past, but the unique and singular thing about the Paschal Mystery is it's a once and for all time event. It's, it, it exists in an eternal now. It's not in the past only. This is what the Catechism says. You know, Christ, by his death, he destroyed death. And therefore, all that Christ is, 
all that he did and suffered for all men. All that he did and suffered. That little phrase, that's a very, that's St. Thomas Aquinas, you know. That's a, from his third part of the Summa. All that he did and suffered for men participates in divine eternity and so transcends all time while being made present in them all. The event of the cross and resurrection abides and draws everything toward life. I love that word abides, that sense of an eternal now. So in the Mass, you know, heaven and earth unite. I used to sit, you know, those of you who have been around uh, for a while, you remember celebrating Mass in this chapel. And this is where all of us in this room entered, the sisters. Um, and I remember thinking sometimes, looking at the altar and really thinking, yeah, in a way, we can envision all of the saints there with us. We can envision the whole host of, of angels, that heaven really is uniting with earth around this altar during the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And so I gave you, um, on that one sheet that's the single sheet, not the stapled sheet, on the back, there are some quotes from the book of Revelation, which, of course, you know, sometimes it can be a perplexing text unless we read it um, in the sense of an idea of it speaking about the heavenly liturgy. And so we don't have time to go through all of this today, but just a reminder that um, what's the main difference between the liturgy, the prayer and praise of God that will go on, it is going on eternally that we participate in now. What's the difference between what happens here on earth and the way that happens in heaven? Here on earth, we experience the liturgy and the, you know, life in Christ in heaven through signs and symbols. But in heaven, it will all be unveiled and we will see face to face. And so, you know, you think about in the Old Testament how the Lord teaches us in the scriptures how the chosen people received from God distinctive signs and symbols, right? So the idea of anointing, the oil being poured over the head of kings, the laying on of hands to, you know, uh, bestow the holy priesthood, the sacrifice of animals, and of course the main sacrifice of Passover, which um, Pope Francis talks about in his catechesis. So... Um, obviously, everything that happens in the Old Testament, all those signs and symbols are a foreshadowing uh, of the full sacrifice, the Paschal mystery of Christ, and will be fully realized without um, signs and symbols in heaven. So um, the book of Revelation, I, I remember it was actually a class I was taking on the liturgy at the Dominican House in Washington. And the priest was talking about, you know, revelations can look kind of odd when you think about it. You're seeing all these beasts and wars and famines and all of this. And then it's like all of a sudden the angels are holding censers and they're singing holy, holy, holy. And he said, well, really, it is the pattern of our liturgical life, that kind of undulating wave that we are lifted up through our, our worship um, in the church and in mass, we are lifted up into heaven. We are united in that heavenly liturgy. And then we come down on earth again, which is sometimes, you know, full of violence, confusion, and all of that, and then we're drawn up again. So um, kind of a, a little bit of a, a glimpse into what we experience now and all that we will look forward to. So in the mass, there's really one movement, you know, a crescendo that reaches its zenith in the liturgy of the Eucharist and in our receiving of Holy Communion. Now, I want to spend the rest of the time looking at the order of mass, but I just want to um, remind us all 
which is something you already know, that it's not something we just uh, kind of make up on the fly, you know, the way the order of mass and all of that. And I love, don't you love reading the early fathers of the church and the early apologists where, especially Justin Martyr, it's just fantastic. From the year 155, here is the whole order of mass. And I didn't even, I just pulled excerpts from um, his first apology there. But, you know, just all that is happening, you're like, gosh, that's exactly what happens at Mass nowadays. You know, on Sunday, the day called Holy, they all they all gather together in one place. The reader reads, you know, then the, there's water mixed with wine, give praise, considerable length to God, and on and on. And then this food, you know, he, there's a beautiful uh, testimony about the real presence in the Eucharist. So um, part of the, you know, the deposit of faith in the church in there from an early time. Now, I want to turn now to, the, um, to what Pope Francis offers in his Wednesday catechesis. He started these things, I think, in November. It was last fall. So he was starting to devote um, you know, his Wednesday audiences to teaching about the Mass. And um, there's, there are a lot of great little nuggets there. So I thought we could maybe just go along with them. And as I was reading through what Pope Francis was saying, I just am going to point out to you some places where I think it echoes St. Dominic's, uh, the nine ways of prayer, of just some of the, the emphases that he puts on things. So let's look at that first page, uh, introductory comments about the Mass. Um, the Holy Father reminds the faithful as he's starting, you know, he's saying, in order for us to be renewed in our spirits, we really have to be renewed in our practice and our worship um, and participation in the Holy Liturgy. And um, we can get very, I don't know, passive, kind of blasé a little bit, maybe when we just, we can take the Mass for granted. But we remember in the early years of the church, and he, he references that, that Diocletian persecution in North Africa and the Christians um, said, you know, without Sunday, we cannot live. So that very intense realization of the Eucharist being their nourishment. And we know, of course, even in this day and age, there are Christians all throughout the world um, who cannot get to Sunday Mass, who, you know, could be killed for participating in the Mass, and they're willing to put their life on the line for that. And I think it's a good reminder to all of us Okay, all these, you know, how, how am I doing with uh, the way that I take for granted, or not, my um, ability to participate in the Mass and receive our Lord in his body and blood? So the Holy Father reminds us that Mass is ultimately prayer, and it is the prayer par excellence, the loftiest, most sublime, and at the same time, most concrete. This is in the um, third bullet here. He says, you know, when we go to Mass, perhaps we arrive five minutes early and begin to chat with the person next to us. But this is not the moment for small talk. And so, you know, it's hard. We have to, charity calls us, of course, sometimes to, it, it can't always be as quiet in the church as perhaps you or I would like. Um, but still we can, what can I do with myself and just kind of quieting my heart before the Mass starts. Am I zooming in at the last minute? Now, sometimes if you have little kids, it's sometimes hard to get there on time. But, um, you know, I, I love what the Pope says then in that fourth bullet about the Mass is not a museum encounter. It's a living encounter. It's a living, and we go to meet the Lord, of course. So he says a little bit farther down, this is the Mass, to enter this passion, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. When we go to Mass, it is as if we were going 
to Calvary itself. And then a little bit farther down that same quote, as we enter the church to celebrate Mass, let us think about this. I am going to Calvary, where Jesus gave his life for me. In this way, the spectacle disappears. The small talk disappears. The comments and these things that distance us from something so beautiful as the Mass, Jesus' triumph. And then he has a little bit at the, these are just kind of general comments that I pulled about his reflections on the Mass in general. And um, certainly he notes, and we're experiencing in the U.S. as well, just uh, as the culture becomes more secularized, um, you know, there's certainly, uh, yeah, that idea of, well, maybe I don't even really need to go to Mass. And I think certainly for you all, as uh, lay people out in the world, you really are that leaven, and by your own Um, practice of the faith, your own devotion when you go to Mass, your own talking about it with your colleagues and your friends and your family, um, to really pull people, you know, back to to the central reality of why Sunday is special in the first place. If you turn to the second page, I like this little quote about, um, it was, it's the first bullet, first full bullet on the top of the page there. Um, The Holy Father says, without Christ, we are condemned to be dominated by everyday weariness with its worries, and by fear of the future. The Sunday encounter with the Lord gives us the strength to experience the present with confidence and courage, and to go forth with hope. And then that next one, how do we respond to those who say it's no use going to Mass? Well, it, you know, more about, well, it's, it's, if I give, live a good life, that's what it means to be a Christian. And Pope Francis says, well, how can we practice the gospel without drawing the energy necessary to do so one Sunday after another? from the inexhaustible source of the Eucharist. So then we're going to go through now um, at least some of the elements of the Mass. Now, the Holy Father is just starting on the Liturgy of the Eucharist, so that's, that's as far as I'm going to take you with the quotes that he has. But um, if you tune in every, every Wednesday, you could uh, stay up to, to date with what he's saying about in his Wednesday catechesis. He has a great thing about, you know, Mass beginning at the, with the sign of the cross and the idea that we... Um, you know, just have the sign upon our bodies of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that the sign of the Trinity really is that that's where the Mass, the source, right, from all the graces from which the Mass, you know, everything's coming from there, and then returning to it. The other day, so thank you um, for the lovely uh, introduction, Gina. So on Friday, we had our um, groundbreaking for the new fine arts uh, building at St. Cecilia Academy, or in principle. So our construction company, they are good Baptist guys that are, are, are doing this. So they're going to get a lot of experience. This is their first time working with the Dominican Sisters. And um, they're kind of perplexed and intrigued all at the same time. So every time we have a meeting together, we all begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So the guy was telling me the other day, he said, Sister, I went to my preacher and I told him I was ready to start with this and that. I said, well, you know, it's a sign of our common baptism. It's actually okay if you want to make the sign of the cross. So I don't know if he was convinced, but my goal is by the end of our, of our building project, he'll be making the sign of the cross with me. So um, some of you I know have grandchildren and, uh, you know, little nieces and nephews and all of that, even with your own kids. And the, the Pope... Uh, was talking about little, you know, sometimes we see little kids making the sign of the cross and it's just like, you know, they don't really know. And how important it is, those gestures that we teach 
the little kids in our life, um, you know, to understand what they're doing and to dip their hand in the holy water font and in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And uh, just to realize, uh, as Catholics, all of the words and the signs and what I do with my body, and especially as Dominicans, what I do with my body reflects um, what's going on in my soul and what I desire for my life. So um, the Pope also talks about, you know, when the priest says, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, the whole idea we're being drawn into a dialogue with Christ. And um, I love this quote. It's under the greeting. It's the last, the last sentence of the last bullet. He says, we are entering a symphony in which various tones of voice resonate, including moments of silence, in view of creating harmony among all the participants, which is to acknowledge that they are animated by a unique spirit and for the same aim. Now, I skipped the point that reminded me so much of St. Dominic. When you go back up um, under the greeting, you know, obviously, what's one of the first gestures that the priest offers when he steps into the sanctuary? He comes around um, the back of the altar, and he kisses the altar. I think we have lost a little bit of a sense of, of reverence for the altar in a modern time, in, in a way that medieval people had very strongly. And so in St. Dominic's first way of prayer, let me read it to you and, and um this is that little picture again. He's, he's going like this. And it, it says, first of all, bowing humbly before the altar, as if Christ, whom the altar signifies, were really and personally present and not just symbolically. He himself taught the brethren to do this whenever they passed before crucifix and the altar, showing the humiliation of Christ, so that Christ, who was so greatly humbled for us, should see us humbled before his greatness. So, um, again, that idea of bowing before the altar, even if the Blessed Sacrament is not behind the altar, but reverencing um, the altar because the altar represents Christ. And I like how the Holy Father says, when we gather around the altar, it's not, it's not to look at each other. It's to look at Christ made present on that altar. Um, I know we're only about five minutes here. So... Again, he's got some wonderful reflections on the penitential act. All of us are sinners, and that's why we always ask for forgiveness at the start of Mass. And um, he also reminds us that we, you know, say, it's my fault in the first person singular. And that we, um, you know, the, especially after a couple of years ago when the gesture of striking the breast was um, brought back more fully to acknowledge that I... This was a nice little thing. Acknowledge that I have sinned through my own fault and not that of others. Indeed, it often happens that out of fear or shame, we point a finger to blame others. It costs us to admit being at fault, but it does us good to confess it sincerely. And then going down a little bit to um, the collect, the opening prayer. I do, want, I do want to say, um, this will be my little, and the Holy Father talks about a lot about the prayers of the Roman liturgy. They are very concise, but they are very rich and full of meaning. Um, many of you probably use the Magnificat, and if you do not, or if you use something similar, a little missalette, I certainly would recommend it. Um, it's wonderful, you know, fruit for meditation. Not only the readings as we prepare, if you go to daily Mass, you know, to reflect on the readings, but I think in a special way to, to really read and reflect 
the prayers for the daily mass, especially the opening collect, because it points us to what it is that the church wants us to get out of out of that day's celebration of the liturgy. So remember the you know the idea um, that the church always offers us of lex orandi lex credendi. So as the church prays, so she believes. The mass is a wonderful teacher. And if we pay attention to the words of the prayers, if we pay attention to, you know, obviously the readings that are chosen for us by the church, um, the play, you know, that gives us kind of the direction for our meditation and our prayer. Um, another wonderful, I think the opening collect is a wonderful prayer to, to meditate on. Also that prayer after communion, as well as a communion antiphon. Um, Sister Miriam and I were in a class in the novitiate together, a, a liturgy class, and I never forgot that, that the priest had recommended, you know, usually the antiphon for communion. It's just a one-liner, but it's a wonderful prayer that you can take into the day with you, and I, th- I found that to be a very good good practice, you know, just to, whether it's that, whether it's a word or phrase, that if you have the, the privilege to go to daily Mass, just a little word or phrase to take with you throughout the day so that you can recall it to mind. We don't, a lot of times we don't have a lot of time to do a big long prayer in our mind. That's why those little aspirations or little liturgical um, phrases and scriptural phrases are so very important. And also, and I think we've all experienced this praying the divine office, the words of the scripture shape us. So the, um, Pope Francis has some great uh, comments on the word of God. And we're not going to be able to go through them all today. But I really would just, um, you know, maybe you can take this into the, into the church when you go. Just some things to um, reflect upon. And I was thinking, too, again, about the nine ways of prayer of St. Dominic. So he talks, you know, the Holy Father talks about this Oran's posture, the prayer of the early Christians with hands upraised like that. That was one of St. Dominic's ways of prayer also. And then we know that our Holy Father loved, he loved the word of God. And in the, particularly in the eighth way of prayer, if you remember that, that's when Dominic would go, usually after dinner, and he would slip off and um, sit before the crucifix with the scriptures open before him. And I think, you know, and and just, I'm just going to read this one phrase. I love it. He said, he would be moved in his mind as delightfully as if he heard the Lord speaking to him. It was as as if he were arguing with a friend. At one moment, he would appear to be feeling impatient, nodding his head energetically. Then he would seem to be listening quietly. Then you would see him disputing and struggling and laughing and weeping all at once fixing, then lowering his gaze, then again speaking quietly and beating his breast. So this is all, you know, St. Dominic's response. We know he's very uh, expressive, but you know, his response to engaging the word of God. What a great example for us as Dominicans of how the word of God comes to encounter us. Christ comes to encounter us in his word, and he demands a response from us. So as we end this time together, let's pray, especially through the intercession of our Holy Father, St. Dominic, that he will not only um, help us to be people of the word, but especially um, Dominicans who evermore, I think, recognize the beauty and the truth and the reality of all that goes on in the Holy Liturgy. And we pray together. 
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for your time.